Oborn and Heller on Cricket, brought to you by the Chiswick Calendar. Hello, it's Peter Oborn in Wiltshire. It's Richard Heller in South East London. And Richard, there's been some very interesting and important developments this week. Well, there have. Peter, there are all of them are connected with the agenda of Black Lives Matter, which is so important in other contexts of the, of the country. There was a very um, hard-hitting interview by Michael Carberry, the former England batsman, played for a number of counties, talking about the racism that he encountered in the county game and the exclusion of black and minority ethnic players from uh, coaching and management positions in English cricket. And that was sort of... Um, reinforced by an interview with Keith Barker of Hampshire, who mentioned the fact there are no black head coaches working in English cricket except Mark Elaine. And it was picked up also by Oes Shah, a former test player, who talked about the lack of British-Asian players and coaches in uh, English cricket. One of the things which has always struck me is that in the late 70s, we got this wonderful array of black English players, Norman Cowens, Gladstone Small, Roland Butcher, and then they've rather dried up in the last 20 years. Why is that, Richard? Well, this is an issue that comes up regularly and nobody's ever really given a, a clear explanation of it. It's very hard to unpick the issue of um, race, you know, from issues of, um, of class and economics in cricket. By and large, black and Asian families are lower income than um, the white families in Britain. And um, the risks and costs of becoming a cricketer, of becoming a a professional cricketer, are higher, therefore, for Asian children and um, children of black families than they are for white families. So it could be class, not race. But but what a moment. Class is also the other factor that's mentioned over and over again is the way cricket is disappearing from state schools and retreating to um, independent public schools, which means that um, state school families are having to fork out the expense of of finding a club for their children to play in. And um, the club culture is sometimes blamed for the lack of development of um, black and Asian players in this country. Quite a moment for the uh, West Indian team then to be on the eve of a test series here. It is, and um, interestingly, Jason Holder has said that they've discussed the Black Lives uh, Matter agenda extensively as a team, and um, they may well kneel collectively in support of it. I hope they do. What about the England team? Shouldn't the England team kneel as well? What do you think? I think that's a decision for them. It is. It, it would, would look odd if they be, didn't. It would, look, it would look poor if they didn't. It would be a sign that the England team care about these issues as, as much as anybody else. Yes, they should. Now, we should now move on to our guest, who we're very privileged this week to have one of the greatest and most significant coaches in world cricket. Well, Mickey Arthur has set pretty much a world... Well, he's set a world record as um, the first person to coach four different national teams. His native South Africa, then Australia, then Pakistan, then currently Sri Lanka... Which, he's joined, which he joined in February 2020 and almost instantly was hit by the very strict lockdown that they've imposed in Sri Lanka. He's joining us down the line. He's got a unique record in coaching. We're absolutely thrilled that he can be with us. Mickey, you became a full-time coach, I think, at quite an early age, in your early 30s. 
Just wondered what made you decide to shift into coaching and what did you need to do to qualify? That's a great question, Richard. You know, I I always thought, because I went into professional cricket so early, so I finished school, matriculated in South Africa, and then had to do the typical two years army service that that we had to do growing up in in apartheid South Africa. As a white South African, you went straight into the army. So I went straight into the army at 17 and did my two years national service there. And, And I did it in a place called Kimberley, where I was then contracted to the to, to the professional cricket team. So I played there for a while and then played at Free State for a while, went back to Greekwas, but I never I never sort of studied further. So cricket became my degree and and an opportunity arose with Greekwas to coach them. And in the in the last year I sort of became a player coach, which was it was quite tough to be honest. And halfway through the season I felt no, 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 I'm I'm gonna leave it now. We can get some young players through. And I would just continue along the coaching path. And um, they provided me with that opportunity. They, they took a punt on me as a very young coach. And, um, and, and I'm eternally grateful for that. Well, indeed. And you've obviously now reached level three at least. Is there a level beyond three or four? What other areas apart from cricket um, did you have to, do you have to cover to reach that level? Oh, well, well, what it was, was, was obviously, it was like cricket was what was my degree, Rich. So, so, so I kind of, you know, they, they clearly knew that I, that I had it in me. During, during my playing time, towards the back end of my playing time, I did all the, the coaching qualifications. So it, you, you got up to a, to a level four in, in South Africa, which, which is the sort of equivalent of, I think it's a level three in England or uh, the level four in Australia, they, they kind of all, all equivalent. And that covered everything, you know, from your, your technical nows to your man management skills to, you know, I always talk about cricket. I talk mentally, physically, and technically. And, and those, the, the, that coaching syllabus that they had, I covered all of that. So, so I did that during the back end of my playing time over a couple of years. And then I was very lucky to get the opportunities to coach after that. I wonder if I could ask you a question which really perplexes me, Mickey. Many old players, including the great ones, Bradman, Sobers, had very little formal coaching, perhaps no more than the odd tip, from an older player. What extra quality can, can a coach bring to test match players which they haven't learnt already? That's a hell of a good question. And, and, and that's one that gets asked, asked of me a lot, you know. But I think it's, it's with the changing game, with the modern game, it's, it's the flicking now of international players between different formats. It's the itineraries, it's the schedules, it's the planning, it's the structure that goes around that. In the early days, there wasn't that much cricket. You know, the, the sort of the, the, uh, the English guys would get on a boat and they'd go, they'd be away six months and they would sort of play five test matches and a, and a couple of, um, you know, county games but, or, or state games. But, but for us now, you know, you're in South Africa one minute that you playing test cricket and, and, and you, very much the next week you, you're in Australia playing white ball cricket. So, so it, it just changes. The dynamics change so much now. Players need to be managed. They need to be managed properly. Their training programs need to be structured. And, and I've always used a phrase at, at international level, Pete, that it's, it's I always say you, you give the players the roots to grow and the wings to fly. The roots to grow being, his, being, being the defense, being the structure, being everything. And the wings to fly is with those players playing within their characters. Because ultimately, you want the players playing freely. You've got to allow their characters to come out in the way they play. And I always say the way, like opening batsmen are, are normally the introverted guys. They're the, 
that they the you know the stodgy structured organized guys you know for want of a better one mm. they're the chartered accountants you know eventually you get down to the number fives who are the flamboyant actors if you like they're the entertainers and and that comes out in, in players characters I'm very much of the opinion, Pete, that I think structures and systems around the world now are over-coaching players. Mm-hmm. I, 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 re- I really do believe that. You know, We can't clone cricketers. I, I've, se- I've seen it in our Australian system. I, I'm scared that it's, it's prevalent in the, in the English system where, where, where we start over-coaching players and it's technique, technique, technique. No, as an international coach, my philosophy has always been based around the fact that, yes, we've got to give them a technique, a technique that holds up under pressure, but we've also got to allow them to express themselves and express themselves within their characters. We can't clone cricketers. And sometimes I get worried that the, the, the modern game is starting to clone cricketers. Yeah, the ba- Basil D'Oliveira, who I used to speak to a lot, when, and he was a wonderful coach at Worcestershire, who won them the county championship two years in a row. And he was very interesting. He said he'd never coached anybody, uh, taught anybody how to play a shot. And uh, he also said he gave a very interesting case of Graham Hick, uh, who was, of course, one of the most naturally gifted players for many years. And he said that he went over to Queensland one winter uh, where Barry Richards, of all people, got hold of him. And and Hick was coached into being a bit... He came back all kinds of a little bit too structured, a bit too nervous of the ball. And that natural flowing player had gone. How often do you see that kind of effect? I think we're seeing that often, you know, and, and I've, I've always encouraged my line coaches because your line coaches, if in, in international cricket, it's your line coaches that do the basic coaching and, and, and I kind of manage the whole organisation and am over exactly what they're being coached because we, we talk about it in coaching meetings, um, but but they they do the coaching and because uh, I want them to, to have responsibility for their roles. And I've always, my line to them is always don't overcoach. And very similar to what you said, I, I started coaching South Africa at a very young age. I was 35, I think, 35 or 36. And I remember sitting with Jacques Callas. And now, you know, Jacques, he wasn't that much younger than me, to be honest. And, and he was a legend of the game. And I, I remember sitting with him and saying, Jacques, how do I benefit you what do you want from me as a national coach and he said he said coach the only thing I want is structure I want to to be told around I want my practices to be structured for me I want the logistics around the team to be structured for me I want to know when I need to be out on the field on the morning of a game etc and everything else in between I'll manage and that kind of was the best advice I got as a coach was to provide the structure provide the environment but then within that framework, let the players determine it for themselves. Mickey, I can't resist quoting a um, something a very early coach of mine said to me. He said, you are the best player of your type in the world. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've never found any demand for players of my type anywhere in the world. <laughs> Richard, I, I, I tell you what, I, that, that, that is some very, very good coaching advice. Because you are you are the best player of your type. You determine your career. You know, ultimately, as coaches, we yes, yes, it, it's taken on a greater responsibility now. So there's the selection issues. There's the coaching philosophy issues. There's the environment you create. There's the constant communication because you're playing so much cricket. But ultimately, you are the best player 
you can be and you've got to uh, try and attain that all the time and and ultimately the responsibility lies with you you can't blame a coach for it and i and i see so often players talking about coaches well it's it, it, it's it's not that players need to need to be ones that take responsibility for their own careers another thing which interests me about is about great coaches and you're obviously one of them you've got a remarkable record the great coaches often not great players I mean, you have a decent record. You're not. You weren't. You wouldn't claim to have been one of the great players in the game. And if you look at in football, Jurgen Klopp, or in cricket too. I mean, somebody actually the really great players. Maybe do they find it too easy? They can't actually really coach because it all came too simply for them, and they didn't learn enough along the way. Do you see what I'm getting at? I, I see exactly what you're getting at, Peter, and, and I agree 100% with you. You know, coaching is a skill, and, and, and it's the one thing that, that annoys me a little bit in the, in, in the modern era of, of leagues and franchises and owners wanting to buy really successful cricketers and, and make them coaches. Coaches is a career. Coaching is a skill. Because with all the stuff that you, that you acquire along the way, you, you need to be able to, to manage people. You know, and, and, and often so many of those great players can't because they they kind of manage themselves. And you know, we spoke about Barry Richards. Now Barry Richards was my idol. I watched Barry Richards growing up. I used to I used to sneak out of school to, if Natal were batting at Kingsmead and I used to go and sit on the bank and and watch Barry Richards bat. And I'll I'll never forget when he became coach. And it was interesting you spoke about uh, Graham, uh, Graham Hicks saying the same at at Queensland, uh, I'll never forget, there was an opening batsman for Natal in, in the town called Mark Logan. And I'll never, I'll never forget speaking to Mark Logan. And it, it, Durban at, in, in those stages was a very, very green wicket. You had the likes of Mark Proctor, Vince van der Bale, all those bowling for Natal um, at, at that time. So they left a lot of grass on the wicket. And if you lost the toss, you were in and it was tough work. And I'll, I'll never forget Mark Logan. He, he had battled through against Transvaal or somebody. And he, he eventually got out. He eventually ended up nicking one. And he went and sat with Barry. And he said, he said Coach Barry, he said, I, he said what, what I needed to do there? Because I tried everything. I came out my crease. I went deeper in my crease. I tried to do everything to counter the moving ball. And Barry sort of said to him, oh, well, why don't you take Garden off stump and just walk across the stumps and, and clip him through the leg side? And he went, it's totally lost on a genius like Barry because he clearly would have done that, but I'm just a mortal batsman. So, yes, I do think, I do think that um, sometimes along the line, if you've played the game at a decent level but you haven't been a standout player, you understand more what the players go through and you understand what a guy needs in terms of, in terms of coaching. Mickey, you've coached four national sides, which is a, a record, <laughs> probably not going to be equaled for a long time at any rate. And also, in, you also coached in Bangladesh. That's five countries. They've got very different cricketing cultures and social and economic backgrounds, different political systems, different media, and above all, sort of different expectations of their cricketers. And I just wondered how far you've had to adapt your coaching style to meet these kinds of differences or... You know, do you treat have you treated all your cricketers in the same sort of way? That's another very good question, Richard. As I've got older, and I say older, you know, in terms of my coaching career, now I'm the best coach I can possibly be right now because I've experienced it all. I've experienced the different cultures. I've experienced 
um, working with great players. I've experienced working with players that are that are just finding their way in the in the international game and developing themselves in the international game. So I think I, I understand it very very well now. And the one thing I would say is that um, the game remains exactly the same. So the way you coach the game, the way you communicate the game, the way you talk about the game remains exactly the same. But you have to understand coaching within the different cultures. And I think if I look back on the, my, my one unsuccessful stint was, was obviously Australia. And, and if I look back, I thought I could come into the Australian system and coach like I coached in the South African system. When I, there were a lot of other underlying factors within, with going on around that time. But, but I should have allowed myself the ability to just sit back for just a little bit and, and watch and understand the dynamic before trying to come in and implementing the change that I wanted to. Um, so I learned a very valuable lesson from that. And that helped me become far better when I went into the Pakistan system because, the, you know, I loved my three years with Pakistan and I loved it because I got to understand the culture. And I think that is the most important aspect of, of international coaching, certainly, is going in, understanding the culture you're working in and then developing your game plans, your strategies, your communication strategies and your philosophy around the culture that you're working in. And that's, that's the one biggest uh, learning I've taken out of coaching in all the different cultures around the world. Yeah, I mean, you took Pakistan to number one in the world, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Look, Pete. Uh, uh, yes, yes, we did. We, we we became number one in in Test cricket. We became number one in twenty twenty cricket, and we we had a great tournament in the Champs Trophy and won it. So, so we did get a lot of success there. I can't lay claim to to the number one Test ranking because uh, it, we got it after we beat the West Indies and West Indies, which was which was fantastic. You know, that was a great win for us, but. There, were, there had been a lot of hard work that had gone on with the previous, uh, with Wacker, who was the previous coach, and, um, and Mizba as captain before I came in. So I, I only had them for about a year, and we maintained that standard in Test cricket and then became the number one ranking. So I can't take all the credit for that, certainly, certainly in terms of it being during my tenure was nice, but um, there was a lot of groundwork that had done that had been done before that. The one thing they do say, though, is that you've never coached until you coach in the subcontinent. Mm. And that's something that, that I can certainly attest to. The buzz, the excitement, the emotion, the color, the noise, the chaos. Everything that, that goes with coaching in the, in the subcontinent is just amazing. So, so yeah, you know, I've had, I've, I've had great success and, and a great time working in the subcontinent and, 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 and I do love coaching subcontinental teams now. Vicky, this may be a, a painful memory, but early on as the South Africa coach, you had to watch the world record stand of um, 624 for Sri Lanka between uh, Mahela Jawadner and uh, Kumar Sangakkara. Just wondered if you could take us through that experience and um, tell us what can a coach or a captain do for a team when it's under a cosh? Oh, Sherbert, you know, that experience was, well, it was excruciating. I remember we, um, we, we, we went to Sri Lanka. It was, it was my first test tour outside of South Africa. Uh, so we went to Sri Lanka and, and, and we, we didn't have Graham Smith. We didn't have Jacques Callis. So you had two of your, two of your main batsmen not there. 
Um, it was at the Singalee Sports Club. We won the toss and decided to bat, which you do in the, sub, in the subcontinent. Except on this particular day, the wicket was a little bit damp. Sri Lanka would have bowled first. And, and we, were, we were rolled for 190. Ashwell Prince was captain. We were rolled for 190 in the first innings. And I think Mira Litra and the ball spun because when the wickets, like, it was almost like plasticine. It, it, the ball gripped and turned. Oh. And uh, 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 Mira Litran bowled us out. And that night, we had run in. And we, uh, we had Ntini, Pollock, Andre Nell. They ran in. And, and we had Sri Lanka 19 for two. And we thought, this is excellent. You know, we, we, at least we're going to yeah, we give them t- uh, 70 runs, etc. in the first innings. But we'll bat well in the second innings because the wicket will flatten out. And, uh, and we'll have a real chance of bowling them out to win the game in the fourth innings. <laughs> And, and, and well, the two days later, we, we didn't see another wicket. And these guys, these guys were still batting. And, and it was so hot. Uh, I'll never forget Mark Boucher coming in as a keeper. And he, at the lunch break, our doctor was putting a drip in his arm just to replenish all the fluids that he was losing out on the ground. It was, it was excruciating. Now, as a, as a coach and captain, you can't do too much about that. You know, all you've got to do is you've got to keep the guys focused on the strategy. You've got to keep the guys focused on the game plan and you've got to support them during that time as best you possibly can. Looking at the scorecard and the reports of that stand, all the um, bowlers and fielders seem to do pretty well. I mean, they, they you know, obviously stuck at their task. We did. Uh, the bowlers did. You know, they didn't score at an exorbitant run rate. We just couldn't get wickets. And you know, I, I've got to know Kumar and Mahela both very well. And I, I was actually spent some time with Kumar over the weekend. And, and we keep reminiscing about that. And he talks about that first hour of that innings being incredibly hard. He said it was tough. We, we didn't give them anything. And they were just saying, let's just get through it, get through it, get through it. And, and he kind of said that. And then they worked in sort of half an hour spells, him and, him and Mahela, to eventually, you know, at the back end of the third day, they were seeing it like a, like a beach ball and they were sort of talking about what they were going to have for dinner. But, but they had to work exceptionally hard over a period of time there because, you know, we, we did bowl well. We never threw the towel in. And the, guy, and, and the best thing we got came out of that game was that in the second innings, we actually went in and played well. We batted really well. And I think Miralitran got another five, but I think he got his five for like 80 or 90 which held us in very good stead going into the going into the second test match. What what, hap- what happened in the second test? Um, by the way, uh, remind me. The second test match was one of the best test matches that I've coached. We lost it. We lost it. But but we um we, we put up a really good showing, and Sri Lanka chased three hundred and no, they chased two hundred and ninety in the fourth innings of the game to win, but they got it nine down. Mahela got a Mahela got a hundred, and the last wicket pair put on eighteen to win the game. Um, it, it, it was an incredible test match, and that was that was the start of Hashim Amla got runs, Av Davilios got runs, uh, Dale Stain bowled incredibly well, and that was the start of the emergence of those of those three young players who would who would go on to have such significant careers for South Africa. Well, I mean, it's a very tough situation taking over Sri Lanka, which has been such an ornament to world cricket since it arrived. It reinvented the game of one-day cricket in the 1990s. It's produced one of the great spinners of all time. It's 
had some truly great players. Now it's in an interesting moment of, of crisis, I'd say. Is that a fair comment? Transition, yeah. Yeah, it is in a difficult time at the moment. There, there's no doubt. You know, we, we have to go for the 2020 World Cup is on this year. We, we've got to go and qualify for that. You know, we, we're down at number seven in, in the, the ODI rankings and, we, and we're number five in the test rankings. So there's a lot of work to do here. Um, they, that, that excites me as a coach, though, because it's very similar to Pakistan, albeit Pakistan's test cricket was very good when I when, when I took over. Their white ball cricket was shocking. So I, I, I love that. I see myself as a coach that that builds teams. Um, it creates a brand, creates a strategy, and then and then builds a team around that. And and that's something that I'm really looking forward to doing here with Sri Lanka. There's talent. There's a lot of talent. It just needs to be nurtured. The system needs to be trusted a bit more. We've got to build that confidence and trust uh, with the players, and then. We've got to back those players in to be the best they can. And, and we've got to trust them and encourage them to, uh, to take Sri Lankan cricket to its, to its rightful place. A lot of um, very promising young players around at the moment, aren't there? You know, made, made a bit of, bit of a breakthrough. You're right. You know, you're right, Richard. There, 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 is, there, there is a lot of, uh, of good players. There's some really good spin bowlers. There's some, there's some young spin bowlers and I... I've been quoted numerous times as saying, remember this name, Wanindu Hasaranga De Silva. He, he is going to be very, very special. Leg spinner, turns it both ways, got two googlies. He's going to be very, very good. There's another guy we're just waiting to come back. He threw his dusra, but he's, he's got that is sorted out now. Akila Dunanjaya. Um, you know, there's a, there's a young left arm, Alaseth Mboldenya. Uh, and we've got and we've got two quicks that can bowl it at 150. So so our bowling our bowling stocks are very good. We need to do do a lot of work with our batters with our with our batting lineup. And as again I say, the skill and talents there they've just got to be backed in because what's previously happened with Sri Lankan cricket is they kind of played for themselves a little bit because they didn't trust the system. So they were kind of playing to be selected in the next match instead of playing to win the actual game they were in and. And I say that that's that's the system and structure that I'm that I'm really trying to build here with these guys to give them the the, the wings to fly, as it were. Has has it been helpful to you, or has it been really frustrating this period of lockdown? It, it was very frustrating at the start, Peter. To be honest, because you know I, I was living in a hotel on on the Goldface Road. Yeah, and 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 hats off right now to the Sri Lankan government because. As I look out of my window here, and I, I raced back today from a from a high performance uh, centre for this interview, uh, Sri Lanka's back to normal. I had to, uh, we had to work hard to get through the traffic and the buzz and the city life is is going on. But for two months, it was completely locked down. You could not leave your residence, and they were very, very, very strict on that. They had they had the army, they had the police patrolling. You, you could not go out on the streets. And, the, and, and again, they're reaping the rewards now. But for those two months, it was tough. It was very tough, Pete. But I tried to get myself in a, into a routine. And, and, and what I did was I spoke a lot to the players. I communicated a hell of a lot with the players. We had them on, on individual programs based on, on what, they, um, what they had at their disposal. And that ranged from Angelo Matthews with a fully-fledged gym in his house to some mm -hmm. of our younger players mm -hmm. That had to do push-ups on the on on the on the dining room table. 
<laughs> you know, it, it ranged, but, but we tailored the program for all of them. But what it gave me, well, it gave me time to reflect on, on the first three months. I'd, I'd seen all the teams. Um, I say all the teams, our 2020 team, our, our one-day team, and our, and our test team. I'd identified areas that we needed to, to, to work on. I did a lot of analysis work looking at opposition, but more so looking at our players. We put together with the coaching staff here, we put together some, some player plans. You know, and I say a player plan is really important because it gives you a bit of a history on the player, but it allows us as coaches then to, to be talking off, off one hymn sheet. So we're not giving them conflicting technical information. <clears throat> so we prepared all those and obviously then watched a lot of Netflix. So it was, uh, it, 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 was, it was a frustrating time. But the key, for, the key for me was maintaining the routine because otherwise you could have just woken up in the morning, done nothing and gone to sleep again, you know. So I was very disciplined <laughs> in the routine that I try to keep. Nathan Lehman, when we interviewed uh, the England strategist, he said, it was just made such an interesting remark that actually he thought the England players were really enjoying lockdown because they, they're such a hectic international travel everywhere to spend two months with their family and their children uh, and get away from cricket was somehow quite liberating for them. Yeah, and a hundred percent because the international schedule is, I mean, Sri Lanka, uh, England were in Sri Lanka. They, 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 they left from here. We were supposed to have them in a in a test series. And yes, of course, and some of the players I've spoken to here, albeit now they're very frustrated and they want to get out and play. The first sort of two or three weeks was, it, it was quite bliss because they were with their families and there wasn't a, a coach on their tail saying, this is how we're going to do, this is your schedule, we want to see you here. You know, so so that, so they did enjoy the freedom a bit, but, but, but that's all worn off now and I think everybody's really keen to get back into it. One of the uh, reasons, many reasons we love both love both of us love Pakistan cricket so much is this amazing phenomenon of the suddenly the unknown suddenly bursting onto the test match scene just like that uh, and it's a phenomenon which is is it trad also in Sri Lanka because it is something which brings a real magic to the to the game it's spot on Pete and, and, and that's kind of the thing where you know we spoke earlier around around coaching and over coaching so you see these young boys coming onto the scene out of nowhere. So in Pakistan, so out of the villages, you know, they haven't had any coaching. You know, I remember uh, talking to Shadab Khan when he burst on and I just loved his talent. Shadab Khan watched YouTube videos of, mm. of Shane Wall, you know, and decided mm. he wanted to bowl leg spin. And Yasser Shah used to learn by watching Mushtaq Ahmed on YouTube because they didn't have the access to the coaching. So they kind of developed their own way. And I think that was so important then for the international coach in those environments to, to actually just let them go because you can't overcoach them then. Because if you try and give them technique, you're probably going to lose them somewhere along the line. So the, so, the, so the key is, and that is the excitement, that's the mystique. A fucker Zaman coming out of nowhere, you know, playing all, playing all the shots that he, that, that, that he can. What eventually happens, though, Pete, and, and I saw that a little bit with our younger players with Pakistan, is, is once they get a little bit of success, the responsibility and the expectation from the greater community obviously just increases and goes through the roof. And then you have to really work with them in terms of handling that, uh, th that responsibility, emotion, um, public, that public 
uh, domain that they suddenly that they suddenly live in. That is the most important uh, aspect of that, and that's sometimes why you see these guys burst on, and then you'll see them disappear again, because after two or three performances that aren't up to standard, the previous systems have then just discarded them, and once they discarded, then uh, then you don't see them again because emotionally they just they, they just don't have the capabilities to reinvent themselves and and come back onto the scene. That is the big difference, isn't it? In Australia, where or South Africa, or England, you it's if you're an able, a talented youngster, you're picked up by a system and it's just it's like going through a machine. You're coached, you're prepared. In Pakistan, Sri Lanka, you come from a village. You you suddenly there you are on the international stage, and nobody's coached you really or trained you along the way. It's a much more a precipitous ascent. It, it definitely, Pete. It definitely, and, and it's so exciting when you see these young guys come through. You know the amount of times I've seen. Yeah, um, and, and it's not really proficient with Hassan Ali, but I'm just going to use that as an example. You know, you get a you get a Hassan Ali who who bowled beautifully to left handers. He had he had the ability to bring the ball back beautifully at right handers. And then sometimes, you know, you, you, you get coaches, and this is not, I'm just using this as an example. It certainly wasn't like that with, with Hassan Ali. But then you'll, you'll get a coach who says, oh, no, hang on, we've got, to, we've got to get him bowling the outswinger. And then with the outswinger, you know you've got to change action. And then he, he actually doesn't get it back. And, and that is why I've continually said in, in my coaching time and my message to the line coaches continually, Pete, is wings to fly. We will give them the roots to grow because we will give them the basic technique. But then once they do it and they do it their way, let's back them in and give them that, that those wings to fly to play within their own characters. That is so important, uh, important, Pete. And we see that so many times in the subcontinent where, where guys get overcoached and then they don't, I mean, they, they're nowhere near the cricketer that they, that they were when they burst onto the scene. In England, we've got a lot of parents of young players tell me that their players are not just overcoached, that their children are not just overcoached, but they're coached by too many different people. And each one in different environments, and each one tries to change something that the, um, the previous one might have taught. And, and, and that's exactly, exactly right, Rich. It, it's, it, it, and it's something prevalent at the top level, you know. And that really annoys me because coaches, and it would be, it would be like that with young kids, Coaches have their own egos. They, they feel they've got to stay relevant with giving information. They feel because they're a coach, they've got to be, be coaching. They've got to be saying something. Your best coaches are the coaches that watch, listen, and make little tweaks. Now, with our players, and why I'm so, I'm so big on, on player plans, so that all our coaches, and particularly our line coaches and myself, are taught, and, and these plans are then go back to our high-performance coaches because we don't want to confuse the player. We want our messages to be very, very simple. So you take a guy, uh, you, you know, you call this Winindu Hasaranka could theoretically play for Sri Lanka. He could play for Chennai Super Kings. He could play for the uh, Trinbago Knight Riders in the Caribbean Premier League. He could end up at the Karachi Kings in the PSL. So he might go through six different teams with six different coaches in, in a year. Um, and and, and, and so, so for me as head coach, I'm putting together his, 
his, his 12 month of the year program. So I will then always try and get in touch with the other coaches just so that we remain on exactly the same page and not confuse the player. And, and, and that is the modern world. That's, that's the modern coaching. It's a microcosm of the young boy going from school to club to club to private coach. It's, it's, it's very prevalent at international level too because you lose your players at times in the year to, to, to franchise systems. Okay, a player, a Sri Lankan player of recent years who excited a lot of people worldwide was um, Ajanta Mendes, you know, with his uh, mystery spin and his carom ball. You know, is there anybody like him emerging on the scene? Has he, has he had his imitators? Well, Akila Dunjaya is, 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 is similar. Um, he, he's similar. This, the, Wanindu Hasaranga is, is, a, is a wrist spinner who's, who's, who's exceptional. Um, and you know, one, one would say that Ajanta was was a wrist spinner with it with with, with his by bowling his carom ball, but but with Ajanta, I think the minute the rest of the world found him out, he didn't have the base to fall back on. So 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 that's why I've always said to you, the roots to grow, the technique you've got to have the base to fall back on. So when you're under pressure, you've got to have the, have a base to know. I'm going to go back to my off spin. I'm going to go back to my stock ball because I know under pressure I can land that and land that consistently. I'm going to use my carom ball as the surprise ball. Once the world determined which way and, and, and found out all about his carom ball, he did not have the technique to fall back on in terms of a stock delivery and hence then disappeared from international cricket. Mm. So, so, so while you need that mystique, you, you need that, the, uh, uh, the wings to fly. You, the, you need the roots to grow as well because under pressure, you've got to have a fundamental ball. I'm talking as a bowler to go back on that. You know you can land consistently. Um, and, and, and that's the key and balance of getting your, your advice and your knowledge and, your, and, your, um, and, and the amount of techni- technique you talk with, uh, with your players. It's a very, very fine line, and you've got to get that 100% right as a coach. So you've just t- taken over at, Sh- at Sri Lanka. It's a, it's a very demanding task, but also, I can just tell, talking to you, you're loving it, and it's really exhilarating. Uh, it's a bit invidious to ask you, but who are the names we, we who all love Sri Lanka and its cricket, we, we should be keeping an eye on now, the, the up-and-coming ones? Uh, I certainly think uh, in, in the batting department, um, and and this is a guy who hadn't who hasn't reached his potential yet. He's been around for for a while, but he has a skill second to none. His hands are exceptionally well. He is a he, he almost has a second longer than any any of the batsmen in the setup in in Kusil Mendes. I think he is he's a, he's an exceptional batsman. There's a young all rounder called Dasan Shinaka coming through that I think I think is going to be very, very good. And I think Dandrushka Gunatalaka is another batsman that, that needs a bit of encouragement. But if we can get him going right, I think he'll be very good. And then you, you, you put those around the Dimuth Karunaratnas, the Nirushantik Wellers, the Kushal Janath Pereiras, the Dinesh Chandamals. You've got a, we, we've got a, we've got a, fair, a, a fair bit of, of, of batting talent. Um, in terms of our bowlers, and this is where I get really exciting, Lahiru Kumara bowls at 150. He is he he he's exceptional. He runs in, he skids it onto you. He's quicker than you think. 
um, and he hits the bat exceptionally hard. Uh, he's strong, strong as an ox. Um, there's a, there's a, a quick bowler called Kasun Rajita that has one of the best actions I've seen. He, his action reminds me of, of Alan Donald. Tall, gangly, beautiful action. He, he presents a great, a great seam and, and, and swings it out. I always thought Alan Donald had the action of a trained killer, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, oh, he did. He did. And, and Kasun Rajita, you, 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 you'll see when he'll, he'll play soon, you know, soon. And he, his action is beautiful. Very, very Alan Donald-like. And then, and then, and then our spin. You know, I'm very excited with obviously Winindu Hasaranga. I think he's going to be in the ten most valuable cricketers in the world in two years' time. He bowls incredible leg spin. He is an amazing fielder at backward point, and at number seven, he can come in and win you games with the bat. He he's 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 going to be he's going to be exceptional. And then I like our, our this left arm spinner Lasith Embaldenia. I think he's only very young. He's he's 21. He, he bowls the ball just a little bit too slow at the moment. Uh, he hasn't got enough momentum in his run-up. But once we get all that right with him, um, he gives it a, a massive rip as a finger spinner. So he's going to be exceptional. That is something. That's mouth-watering. Exciting. It yep. is mouth-watering. It is mouth-watering. Very exciting. In England, there's a lot of interest now in the uh, West Indies and Pakistan series coming up behind closed doors. Can I ask you two questions about that? One is just I'd like to get your perspective on how you think both those series, perhaps most of all the Pakistan series, will go. And secondly, what will it be, what will it be like playing in these empty stadiums for the players and for, the, and, for the, and for those of us who are watching on TV? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's, it's going to be pretty surreal, really, I, I think. Um, you know, we discussed it. We, we were in the, in the middle of a camp. We've had one camp. We go into camp again uh, next week. And we go into camp in these biosecure environments. So, so, so we, we've kind of experienced it, um, you know, with the washing of hands, the, the masks, the living together, the, the, the dining hall together. The, you know, you're not allowed to have any contact with anybody from outside your bubble. So, so it is quite tough. In terms of playing, though, you know, I, 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 kind of, I kind of sold it to our players along. Yes, we're not going to have the, the excitement and, the, you know, the, the noise of players around you. But imagine, just imagine the amount of eyeballs that are fixated on the TV screens. And you've got to imagine that every one of those people watching you are living the game with you, are running the same emotions that you and are as passionate about it as, as you are. And that has to has to drive you, and that's the only way. As coaches, I think we can we can really invigorate our players to play in empty stadiums. Pakistan has got a little more experience of it than most, haven't they? Because of the virtually empty stadiums they had to play in in the UAE. Yeah, that's a good point, Rich. And, and we did, you know, you know, during those times when we played in the UAE, it it was tough because the stadiums were pretty empty, you know. Uh, the players weren't playing in front of their friends and families, and they and they didn't do that since two thousand and nine. So, um, so 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 they do experience it, and, and and it was tough. I mean, I always remember coming with Pakistan to England, and just you know, you went to Birmingham, and oh, you, we played we played some ODIs there, uh, Birmingham, Manchester, Headingley, that were, you know, you could have been in Karachi or Lahore. Just mm-hmm. was the. The, the fever pitch excitement of the fans. And you, you can't ever replicate that. But in, 
in some way, you know, the players need to pay for their pride and that also they need to be playing to the people watching them on television. How do you predict the Pakistan series will go? Uh, a three-match series, 2-1 Pakistan. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's... So you, you have a bet that, on that. That'll give, a... them, that'll give them a lot of encouragement, Lucky. Yeah. No, sure. uh, Pakistan play exceptionally well in England. They they play exceptionally well in England. The one thing I do know is they have the ability to take wickets, and then it'll be very dependent on 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 the batting and and the standout player, obviously being Bob Azam. So, uh, it, look, I, I think they will. But but let's be honest. There's. Uh, uh, that uh, that question tugged on my heartstrings just a little bit. <laughs> All of our heartstrings, Mickey. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a bit of. Um, it's been such a joy talking to you. No, I, I've loved every. I've loved every minute of it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. Well, thank, you thank you for joining us, Mickey. And good luck in Sri Lanka. Yeah, we'll send our best wishes to the Sri Lankan team. Thank you so much. That's all for this week. Please join us next week. Thank you for listening. If you have been, thank you all the listeners who've sent in contributions of various kinds. If you have any more, please send them to our dedicated email, obornhellacricket, all one word, at gmail.com. So it's goodbye from me, Richard Heller. And it's goodbye from Peter Oborn in Wiltshire.